This is Unfiltered, episode 305, for April 24th, 2020. Here we go. The new, the new headline is Trump asks people to go outside. That's dangerous. Here we go. Same old group. Uh, you ready? I hope people enjoy the sun. And if it has an impact, that's great. I'm just hearing this, not really for the first time. I mean, there's been a rumor that, you know, a very nice rumor that you go outside in the sun or you have heat and it does have an effect on other viruses. But now we get it from one of the great laboratories of the world, I have to say. It covers a lot more territory than just this. This is, this is probably an easy thing, relatively speaking, for you. I would like you to speak to the medical doctors to see if there's any way that you can apply light and heat to cure. You know, if you could, and maybe you can, maybe you can't. Again, I say maybe you can, maybe you can't. I'm not a doctor, but I'm like a person that has a good, you know what. Friends, and welcome into 305 of your Corona Counseling cast. <laughs> My name is Chris, and that was a heck of an intro clip. We'll get to that more in a little bit. This show, though, this is one of those episodes where maybe one out of three or four things we're going to talk about today would have been enough just to have a show. But... We got a few of them, so I'm going to do my best to get through them as quickly as possible to get you up to speed on everything, giving insights where I can. And then down the road, I think my buddy Chase and I will do a longer discussion format on some of these. But we do have a lot to get into today, so off the top, I'll skip the uh, traditional monologue or uh, rant, (laughs) I guess you could call it. I prefer monologue that I get into towards the top, and we'll just get started um, right with the COVID news because some big, big numbers this week, both in unemployment, in infections rates and and also in if if outrage wasn't was a, a metric you could assign a number to i feel like this week the corona outrage reached all new heights so let's ground ourselves a little bit with some data before we get into this thing i want to give you a reminder on how currently corona deaths are being counted Virus-related death toll continues to climb. The director of public health took time today to explain how the department rules someone an actual COVID death. It can be a little confusing. She says anyone who has COVID when they pass away will be included in that category. Dr. Ngazi Azike explained this does not mean the virus caused that death. But if someone does test positive for COVID before dying, that is classified a coronavirus fatality. We've mentioned this before on the show. Um, If you go in and you got cancer, I'm serious, Uh, Or if you go in and you have a heart attack, but you also were infected with COVID-19, it will be counted as a COVID-19 death. You were in hospice and had already been given, you know, a few weeks to live. And then you also were found to have COVID. That would be counted as a COVID death. It means that if... um, Technically, if even if you died of a clear alternate cause, but you had COVID at the same time, it's still listed as a COVID death. So um, everyone who's listed as a COVID death doesn't mean that that was the cause of the death, but they had COVID at the time of death. Also, it's the ones that have died in hospitals, not at home or somewhere else where they couldn't get to the hospital. So it's with that caveat that I say, as I record this episode, the U.S. death toll has ticked over 41,000. I'm sorry, 51,000. Pretty big difference there. Um, And then, uh, of course, the total confirmed uh, 
in the U.S. is even larger if you don't count deaths. If you just like look at people who have gotten sick, just about to eight hundred and ninety-one thousand. So when we're about to get into percentages and numbers, they'll seem big, but it's all relative to the overall population size. And that's why this recent study that was published is so critical. New information suggests the coronavirus was spreading rapidly in the U.S. much earlier than first thought. Only 23 cases in several major cities had been reported by March 1st when very limited testing was being done. The New York Times used a Northeastern University model to estimate there could have been about 28,000 infections in those cities by that time. Dr. John LaPook spoke with one of the Northeastern researchers. John, it appears the virus also took lives in the U.S. a lot earlier than we thought. Now, before we go any further, I also want to take note that if you check the show notes from the last couple of episodes, there was a similar study conducted in Los Angeles that also showed these very similar results, uh, very similar numbers, too. That's right, Anthony. We thought that the first U.S. death had occurred in Washington state in late February. Now it turns out that there was an earlier death in California about three weeks earlier. And as some states are looking to reopen, there are still a lot of questions about the early spread of the virus. I'm still kind of surprised that they're being so definitive with dates because this is just the most recent discovery. There may be another discovery that comes along later that shows there was maybe infections even earlier. Maybe there was infections back in January. We project by early March uh, thousands of cases across the country. Dr. Alessandro Vespignani is a professor at Northeastern University in Boston. His research team has been modeling the spread of coronavirus. They believe it likely began in the U.S. in January. And by mid-February, there were about 50 new infections per day. Those cases were not detected because uh, the, if you don't test, you don't detect. Yeah, and you would just assume at that time of year it's flu, uh, which is funny because my mom said to me um, back in early February, I think I even anecdotally mentioned it on air, that uh, she thought that the whole family had got sick from corona back in beginning of January because... Our entire family over the holidays got sick in a way that's never really happened. Like sometimes the immediate family will get sick. The kids bring something home. I get sick. Ange gets it. Hadia gets it. Pretty standard. You got three kids in school, right? But this time we self-isolated just because we didn't want to pass the flu on to older members of the family, just trying to be careful for the flu even. But everyone got sick. Our, my entire extended family in a way I've never witnessed in my lifetime before. And let me tell you, that sucker rocked me <laughs> that that rocked me bad i um it was one of those where i thought i was getting better and so i like a moron took a road trip to oregon and then got the brunt of it while i was stuck in seaside oregon just locked up in lady jupes unable to go anywhere because i was so sick and it took a while for that to clear it took like two weeks for that to fully get to, to pass um but then recently I came down with some chest pain and a dry cough and a lack of appetite and sort of tired. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> what have I got now? Because that's the state of things. You just, you know, you start to get these symptoms and you start going, well, maybe I've got the big Rona or maybe I've just got a regular cold. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and it's still not 100%. Even now, sitting here talking, um, it kind of hurts. It hurts my chest to speak for a while. So we better play some clips so that way I can catch my breath. Detected because uh, the, 
If you don't test, you don't detect. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Last week, CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield said the U.S. had been successful in tracing the spread of COVID-19. Through February 27th, this country only had 14 cases. But a New York Times analysis of the university's modeling estimates, by March 1st, the number of cases was much higher, likely reaching nearly 30,000 in five U.S. cities, about 10,000 of them in New York, where social distancing would not be enforced for another two weeks. Which probably explains why New York was hit so hard, because it was spreading amongst the population earlier. And then there's that that lag, that delay before you become symptomatic, if you become symptomatic. I think the major problem was lack of testing. Dr. Matthias Schnurl is a researcher at NYU Langone Health. The fact that this virus can spread asymptomatically from person to person without causing any disease was uh, underappreciated until recently. Through genetic analysis, his team found most coronavirus infections in the U.S. did not come directly from China. Instead, they largely came from China to Europe and from Europe to the United States. Isn't that interesting they can even tell that? Um, I, I, I accept that. I've actually seen some people online speculating that they can't tell that. What the hell do I know what they can or can't tell by analyzing DNA sequences? Seems like maybe they can tell it, uh, especially if this thing changes. And, you know, one population, it changes in one way and another population changes another way. You identify those markers. Boom, Bob's your uncle. You identified the origins. It doesn't seem that crazy to me. It is interesting that it was from Europe. So the order of operation they're saying is that infections from China reached Europe, and then travelers from Europe reached New York and other places, um, which would make a little more sense in regards to that Kirkland retirement home here in Washington State, was which was originally, until this reporting, considered the hotspot in Washington, the original infection point was that retirement home that just <laughs> ravaged all of those individuals. Um, but there wasn't a direct China traveling. We were having a hard time finding that. Well, this might explain some of that. Could be that it it did, in fact, originate in China, but was spread around the world and it came from multiple places, like a like a true worldwide pandemic. Instead, they largely came from China to Europe and from Europe to the United States. Travel from China to the U.S. was curtailed on January 31st, but travel from Europe continued freely for more than a month. If I could turn the clock back and go back in time, there would be two things that I think would be critical. One of them would be to put a mask on everybody in the city. The second thing would be to start aggressively testing everyone who was traveling from outside. I think it's important to learn from our mistakes. This is not the last pandemics that we are facing. Data from a preliminary state survey released Thursday found more than 20% of people randomly tested in New York City were found to have antibodies to coronavirus. These are people who were infected and who developed the antibodies to fight the infection. Four weeks ago, five weeks ago, six weeks ago. In Santa Clara County, California, officials say CDC testing has revealed the first known coronavirus death in the U.S. occurred on February 6th, not February 29th, as previously believed. What these deaths tell us is that we had community transmission, probably to a significant degree, far earlier than we had known. Dr. Vespignani says modeling is partially based on our behavior, so we all have a say in what happens next. 
If we stay home when we are asked to stay home, if we wash our hands, if we use masks, well, we might change the trajectory. Nice uh, fucking model! <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go in a little more on uh, Cuomo. Cuomo? Cuman. Governor Cuman? Cuomo. Let's go more on uh, his details there. It was vital for any state, I believe, to first get a baseline study of where you are on the infection rate. All we know to date is the hospitalization rate. How many people are coming into hospitals? That is all we have been tracking. That's all we know. And then from that, you've had all sorts of anecdotal extrapolations on the hospitalization rate saying, I think the infection rate is this. I think the infection rate is that. I said, I want to have the infection rate. So we have undertaken the largest, most comprehensive study of New York State to find out what is the infection rate. Uh, And that we started a few days ago, sample size so far of 3,000 people statewide, Let's find out what the infection rate is. Uh, We have preliminary data on phase one, and this is going to be ongoing. We did about the 3,000 tests. We're going to continue this testing on a rolling basis. We'll have a larger and larger sample. But I want to see snapshots of what is happening with that rate. Is it going up? Is it flat? Is it going down? And it can really give us data to make decisions. Uh, We did... 3,000 surveys in about 19 counties, 40 localities across the state. The surveys were collected at grocery stores, box stores, et cetera, and that's important. It means you're testing people who, by definition, are out of the home and not at work, okay? What does that mean? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but it's good to know, right? (laughs) I don't know. I like how he says, I don't know. Uh, he goes on to say, but, you know, it's something, it's a metric that we want, we want to follow. It's all about the science. If you don't want the media or social media or, um, you know, all of the paper commentaries and all the people that write articles and get linked to everywhere and get shared around, if you don't want to get chewed up by that chattering class, you got to use the good word of almighty science. Your relationship with science must be good. You must speak the words of science. Everything has to be framed in the almighty science. Now, I want to make it clear. I'm not anti-science. The fact that I even have to fucking say that, that I have to come on here and warn you that I'm not anti-science so that way you don't get upset and then start calling me some sort of anti-science bigot. That's the reality of our state of discourse now. And I find that kind of thing so frustrating. And... I invite you to keep this framework in your mind. Science is a process, a process of challenging assumptions and asking questions. Science is not a thing. Science does not have malice. Science does not have intention. Science is not an organism. Much like evolution doesn't decide things, evolution didn't decide that things go a certain way, 
Evolution is a thing that happens. Science is a process. It is a thing that many, 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 many individuals engage in. They peer review and they question and they always question assumptions. That to me is the core of what science is. But what we in discourse use science as is the new religion. It is the new religion. Go read any of the way people are talking about this right now, Nancy Pelosi today was quoted that she does not believe that Trump has a good relationship with science. You could literally take the word science out and put the word God in. Trump does not have a good relationship with God. Trump does not walk in the word of our Lord. Try it. From now on, every time you see science, put a religious phrase in there. It is gross. It is a basic human instinct to do this. And, and this time, we're really proud of it because we've got a whole new set of words and languages. We have a bunch of official people on television that are saying these things who are not religious folks. In fact, a lot of atheists go this way. So how could it be a religious thing? Because a lot of scientists are atheists. Try it. It's a, it's, it is a base human thing that we do. Try replacing the word science with another religious word. You just change a couple of things, and the entire sentence almost always works. Now, why do I mention all this? I think Trump has figured this out. Problem is, he can't execute quite well on it. But I noticed in this week's press conferences, which I am still watching, science, 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 as much as he can. At least, he tried. He brought out some new folks to tell you about the science of sunshine and going outside because Trump wants the economy open. So let's show the science that supports going outside. Well, the sun, if it's on somebody's hands, right, and they haven't touched their face and all of the things, and it's exposed open, to the sun, it'll. I know, but if, if they're outside, right, and their hands are exposed to the sun, will that kill it as though it were on a piece of metal or something else? Not. I, I don't want to say it will at the same rate because it's a non-core service, but we do know, what we do know is that we looked at the worst case scenario and the virus lives longer on non-porous surfaces. So porous surfaces, it doesn't live quite as long. So in theory, what you said is correct. This is a semi non-porous, right? Yes, Mr. President. And then again, uh, another angle at the science attempt here. How much more research, how much more time would it take to have conclusive results that, that could be used here? You said these were emerging results. We, we first were able to receive the virus back in February is when we started testing. And uh, it is a science-based approach. Science is a process. The doctor can attest to that. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily line up with goals and targets and other things. It is what it is. Uh, but we are now starting to get results. And, and we're every week or two weeks, we're starting to find out something new and something different. Uh, and in talking to the, to, to the task force and the vice president, uh, he's already asked us to come to him every time we come up with some new discoveries that, that, we, could be, that we could share to the public. So going pretty well, you know. The whole science angle was working, uh, UV light, getting people outside. Turns out the outside conditions are great for killing the virus. This whole this whole whole press conference was framed to have us talking like that. The only problem was Trump blew it. He just he couldn't just let it be. He couldn't let it be. He had to he had to let optimist maybe this will work Trump where he's shucking and jiving up in front of the entire nation during these corona briefings, coming up with ideas, being an idea guy, because he's got a really good 
you know what. So let's show you how this all played out as uh, the president undermined his top medical experts on stage. Once again, uh, they're being forced to push back hard against President Trump's latest suggestions for treating the coronavirus. Well, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Push back hard my butt. (laughs) I mean, really? Please. One of which included, stay with me here, injecting people with Mm. disinfectant. The president's ideas, which were rejected by experts in the briefing room with him, came after a Homeland Security official presented research that found disinfectants, heat and humidity killed the virus on surfaces and in the air. So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light, and I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that. You can hear Trump is leaning over to his task force. He's directing the question towards the task force individuals that are sitting at the set of chairs next to the podium. In front of him is the press. And to his right is the task force. And he's turning to his right and asking these questions. And you can kind of hear him drifting off mic here when he does it. Uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll the right, folks who right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or? Almost a cleaning because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. I bet it does. I bet it sounds really interesting. You know, just put a little uh, hand sanitizer in the old lung skis there. What could go wrong? Geez, that makes my lungs hurt more just thinking about it. He's not joking when he says this. Now, I think what he's doing is uh, this is this would be a very generous interpretation. I think he's he's um, shucking and driving, jiving. He's theorizing. He's ideating. He's throwing things out there because he has such a high opinion of his instinct. That he feels confident in suggesting instinct to experts. A lot of people have been talking about summer. Uh, maybe this is one of the reasons we've, uh, I once mentioned that maybe it does go away with heat and light and people didn't like that statement very much. The, the fake news didn't like it at all. And I just threw it out as a suggestion, but it seems like that's the case. It, it would be irresponsible for us to say that we feel that the summer is just going to totally kill the virus. And Bill Bryan comes back on stage. Uh, this is the DHS undersecretary. He's been the one in the press that said, I think it's going to be really difficult. Well, I mean, complicated. I mean, challenging in the fall because we could have flu and Corona at the same time. Like we probably just had. That if it's a free for all and that people ignore those guides, that is not the case. So president mentioned the idea of cleaner systems, bleach, isopropyl alcohol, you mentioned. There's no scenario that that could be injected into a person is there I mean, no I, I i'm here to talk about the finds that we had in the study we don't do that within that lab our labs i would like you to speak to the medical doctors to see if there's any way that you can apply light and heat to cure 
you know, that if you could. And maybe you can, maybe you can't. Again, I say maybe you can, maybe you can't. I'm not a doctor. But I'm like a person that has a good, you know what. But, sir, you're the president. Deborah, have you ever heard of that? Uh, the uh, heat and the light relative to certain viruses, yes, but relative to this virus? That is a treatment. I mean, certainly fever yeah. is a good thing when you have a fever. It helps your body respond. But not as I've not seen heat or light. I, I think it's a great thing to look at. I mean, you know. Okay. You're the president and people tuning into these briefings, they want to get information and guidance and want to know what to do. They're hey, not looking for rumors. I'm the president and you're fake news. And you know what I'll say to you? I'll say very nicely. I know you well. I know you well because I know the guy. I see what he writes. He's a total faker. So are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? It's just a suggestion from a brilliant lab by a very, very smart, perhaps brilliant man. He's talking about sun. He's talking about heat. And you see the numbers. So that's it. That's all I have. I'm just here to present talent. I'm here to present ideas because we want ideas to get rid of this thing. And if heat is good and if sunlight is good, that's a great thing as far as I'm concerned. I wonder if he knows something's going off track when all of those cameras start clicking. <laughs> I wonder if that's a signal like, oh, they're picking up on something here. Um, that didn't sound like a joke to me. And then today, that was yesterday. Today, he said, oh, no, just just totally was just being sarcastic, you know, just up there joking, you know, joking. About injections of disinfectant, they're, they're quite no, I was asking a question sarcastically to reporters like you just to see what would happen. Now, disinfectant for doing this maybe on the hands would work. And I was asking the question of the gentleman who was there yesterday, Bill, because when they say that something will last three or four hours or six hours, but if the sun is out or if they use disinfectant, it goes away in less than a minute. Did you hear about this yesterday? But I was asking a sarcastic and a very sarcastic question to the reporters in the room about disinfectant on the inside. But it does kill it and it would kill it on the hands and that would make things much better. That was done in the form of a sarcastic question. to. No, it wasn't. No. Nope, I watched that and I watched this and it wasn't sarcastic. You were turning to the doctors and you were asking them. You were not asking the press. You weren't even necessarily responding to a specific question. What they asked you were follow-up questions to the statement about injecting that into somebody's lungs. You did suggest that. And I guess the alternative is, are you just making jokes? About disinfectant on the inside. But it does kill it, and it would kill it on the hands, and that would make things much better. That was done in the form of a sarcastic question to the reporters. But you were okay. asking your medical experts to look into it. Uh, were you being no, sarcastic no, 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 with no. them? To look into whether or not sun and disinfectant on the hands, but whether or not sun can help us. Because, I mean, he came in yesterday and he said they've done a big study. This is a study. This isn't where he hasn't done it. This is where they've come in with a final report. That sun has a massive impact. Then why would you be asking them to look into sun if they looked into sun and it was a massive report that said sun kills the virus? Then why would you be jokingly asking them about hand sanitizer, but seriously asking them about sun? This this story is it's worse than an excuse my young children would come up with. It's 
doesn't hold water. I mean, he came in yesterday and he said they've done a big study. This is a study. This isn't where he hasn't done it. This is where they've come in with a final report that sun has a massive impact negatively on this fiber. In other words, it does not live well with humidity and it doesn't live well with sun, sunlight, heat. It doesn't live well with heat and sun and disinfectant. And that's what I brought out. And I thought it was clear. Okay, anything else? Mm, not so clear, actually. Um, so the most charitable interpretation then, as I like to do when possible, is that our president thinks he's a fucking stand-up comedian. That's what that means, is our president thinks he's a stand-up comedian, and he's up there in these Corona Task Force briefings, and he's making jokes? The hell is that? What the hell is that? <laughs> I got, hey, here's one for you, Mr. President. 50,000 Americans walk into a bar, and they get coronavirus. Not very funny, is it? It's not a joking matter. And he wasn't joking, and I, I don't know how to interpret that. I'd like to know what you think of that. Is that the, one of the scariest things you've ever heard him say? Is it not crazy? Am I missing something? Unfiltered.show slash Discord. Let me know in the general thread or in the COVID-19 thread. Let me know what you guys think. Because that, to me, mind blower right there. Now, in all fairness, the UV light stuff, he's also been getting busted over saying, oh, he's so crazy, UV light, ha, ha, ha. Look at the man. He's obviously got a good tan going, and he hasn't gotten sick. Hey-oh, maybe there's something there. Actually, no, there is something there with the UV light thing. You can actually, it's really early, but they are actually working on a way to deliver UV light to the lungs. Maybe this is something I should look into. Now, the president is right about something else he talked about, and that is the potential for introducing ultraviolet light into the body. In fact, in just the last few days, a company called A2 Bioscience, in conjunction with Cedar sinai Hospital, has unveiled a new device that works in conjunction with a ventilator tube. Basically, it puts an LED UV light down through your mouth, your throat, and into the trachea, where the principle is that the ultraviolet light will shine as the air is being pumped into the lungs and will help to destroy coronavirus and other bacteria. It's not in wide use again. It's brand new, but on that front, the president was right. That actually sounds kind of legit, doesn't it? Um, that's cool tech. That's the problem here, is sometimes when Trump's up on the podium, he'll say something that sounds ludicrous, but it's simply because, well, he's the president of the United States, and sometimes the White House knows about something before the general public does. <gasps> Shocker! Sometimes they know about a cure or a test or something that some wacko scientist is working on before the rest of us do. <gasps> and then, of course, he gets just ridiculed for it. And then sometimes he says dumb crap like, let's inject disinfectant into the lungs. And that's not a secret heads up that he got. That's just him saying random crap. I've known guys like Trump. Everything's positive with these guys. Everything's great. Seems to be a common thing amongst narcissists, actually. But like Trump always says, he's not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, but I'm like a person that has a good you-know-what. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a doctor. It's just got a good you-know-what. And I like to use that you-know-what. This was a really, really, really weird press briefing. Because before it even started, I was like 
jaw ope dropped. What the hell is going on? Before before it even started, when they were just setting up, there was a hot mic. You've probably heard this audio because it's taken off everywhere, but I think it's worth capturing here just so we have it on the people's record. Hot mic. This is a setup between uh, John Roberts, who uh, is the Fox News White House correspondent, and I think that's his name, and a New York Times photographer. That's the two individuals involved in this conversation. You'll hear people have inaccurately said who these individuals are. They don't watch enough of these streams. I watch these streams every day. I know who these individuals are. I've identified them. Um, and what you will hear in this clip is is very strange. Two things really stand out to me. So he walks in as the uh, John Roberts walks in as the uh, photographer is setting up. They got the mask there. The uh, case fatality rate's at point one to point three, according to USC. That's reassuring. USC. Everybody here's been vaccinated anyway. Okay, let's break this down. He walks in, says you can take off that mask. He's re- he refers to the study done in California, which I referred to earlier myself. And says the mortality rates way lower than we thought. You can go ahead and take that mask off. I'll get to the vax thing here in a second. But just to back that up, by far the most interesting thing about both the California study and the New York study is that it was a lot higher positive rate than they expected, which means a lot less people are dying from this than they expected. Now, we need more data to really bear this out. Can't just be a couple of studies. We need a lot more studies and we need continuous testing for a while before we get a full data set. But it is starting to look that way. And this is one of these studies they're discussing. I'm going to hit it over again so you can hear the whole thing as he walks in because it all happens really fast. Hey, take that mask off. And then I don't know if this was a joke, if this was somebody being funny, but saying that everybody in there had been vaccinated already. Well, that's not very funny. Maybe I'm just not in a joking mood today, but these jokes aren't landing with me, guys. (laughs) All right, man. Okay. Vax thing, I don't know what to do with that. I'm going to chalk that up to a joke. I guess it's possible that if there was a limited amount of human trials going on, which there are, maybe you would test it on the White House press corps. <laughs> Seems like a good group. I mean, you don't want to get the, the, the uh, task force sick. No one on the task force has gotten sick. Trump hasn't gotten sick. You don't want to get any of them sick, so maybe... Maybe you would test vaccinate them. Either way, what's more interesting really is what their comments are about the study out of L.A. There are 7,000 cases in California, but they really believe that there are anywhere from 221,000 to 442,000 people who were infected. Really? Yeah. So that makes it 0.1 to 0.3? Yeah. Is a study to come out with? Or? Yeah, just give it to that. So it suggests that the case fatality is about 10. He says there, so it seems that the mortality rate is a tenth of what it seemed to be. It's a pretty significant number. Something you'd think the press would report more, but no. So it suggests that the case fatality rate is a tenth of what it seems to be. Wow. Which puts you right in line with the food. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. So it was a hoax. I don't think it was a hoax. (laughs) 
<laughs> is a hoax. <laughs> See what I'm saying about what a weird freaking stream day this was? This is why you got to watch it all, man. This is why you got to watch the pre-show stuff. This is why I'm sitting there with my own clipping tools. I'm not waiting for the for the media to run it because they don't run that beginning stuff. CNN, Fox News, if they even run it, will not run that stuff. I'd like to know what you think on that, too. I really would. If you've seen that clip, you must have heard it. I'd like to know your thoughts. That vaccine has to be a joke, right? Has to be. But the mortality rate, when we get to the economy section of the show, just keep those numbers in mind. Because when we're debating lockdown and the impact of jobs and small businesses, I think the mortality rate is a very prescient factor in this. Um, clearly, clearly it's ravaged our country. It's clearly some actions had to be taken, but I'd like to know what you think they should be. Trump's action has been to shut down immigration. In order to protect our great American workers, I've just signed an executive order temporarily suspending immigration into the United States. This will ensure that unemployed Americans of all backgrounds will be first in line for jobs as our economy reopens. Fuck the EU. Now, here's the problem is that this started with the idea of protecting U.S. jobs. But then, according to Cucker Tuckerson, certain, quote unquote, certain individuals, basically it sounds like two individuals in Trump's administration were concerned about the impacts shutting down immigration would have on big business hiring cheaper labor. And so they modified this shutdown to essentially enable that for big business, completely failing to protect jobs and instead just punishing people that wanted to come visit. You can find the expanded clip online, but I'll play you a choice section of it. How do we get from a sincere effort, the president announced it and he meant it, judging from his first order, an effort to help suffering American workers to what we have now, which is a hollow, almost entirely symbolic gesture. We talked to a lot of people about this today in Washington, a lot. And here's the story. Apparently, key White House aides were afraid of angering corporate leaders. For example, Apple CEO Tim Cook. Someone actually said that. What will Tim Cook think? Officials from the Department of Labor and the Council of Economic Advisors pushed for the vast guest worker exemption. They argued that the unemployment benefits in the coronavirus stimulus bill were so generous that American citizens would refuse to go back to work because it was easier to get in a government check. And so we have to bring in more foreigners. What would Tim Cook say? We have to let the workers in. So we got this really weird immigration ban. It's it's sort of pointless. It's, I guess less people coming in. Um, but the BS about saving jobs was just that. It was just sort of BS. But I'm looking at this. You know, I like to be a big picture guy. You know, I like to look at it from the big picture. And I'm not a doctor. But I got a good you-know-what. And I think, you know, if this just needs a little heat, then maybe what we ought to do is blow in some warm wind. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord.
to hell. You got to go look at this Kenneth Copeland video on YouTube. The original is great, but then, of course, the remix, the remix is really choice. It's a lot better, though, if you can see his creepy face. I, I do recommend, as a little after-show homework, uh, you go check that out. I've also been following what the uh, Apple and Google plans are for contact tracing. Speaking of Tim Cook, he held talks with European commissioners late this week regarding the upcoming contact tracing framework that Apple and Google are jointly collaborating on. I'll have a link in the show notes for more information on that. But essentially, the contract tracing framework will be deployed as an update to Google Play services on Android and as an iOS software update for Apple devices. Apple said it wants to make the technology available to as many people as possible, or at least every active Apple device that has the appropriate Bluetooth stack. So there will be updates for iOS 12 and 13 is the implication here. The operating system will prompt users if they want to participate in the contact tracing. So when you install your next phone update or Google Play updates, which will just happen automatically, you're going to get a prompt. Do you want to participate in the tracing? So you have a moment that is about to come to you where you're going to have to make a decision. What are you going to do? I'm curious. I like when when your actual information and there is a positive side, I would assume, because you would also be alerted if you've been exposed to somebody. So you'd, maybe that would be tempting. Will you enable it? You'll have to install a third-party app now for your region that will work with this set of APIs that the platform vendors have created. However, in phase two, which will happen months later, Apple and Google will build some parts of these apps directly into the OS. So you won't have to download an app from the App Store or from the Play Store to actually get proximity alerts and get this stuff. Right now, it's an OS-level thing and a third-party app thing. But eventually, it'll all be an OS thing. Are you going to do it? I thought I was going to say no immediately. Um, I guess my stance is I'd still like to fully understand the technology better. And I am looking for more information on exactly how it's implemented. If, like, the number one thing I'd like to know is, is there any way to collect Bluetooth MAC addresses with this? If these beacons are going off, if if I had... Uh, a Linux laptop with a Bluetooth chip in it or a rooted Android phone, could I detect all of the things that are chattering, that are broadcasting? And then could I start to correlate that information? That's what I'd like to know. Um, I just don't feel like I have enough information to make that choice yet. But I'd like to get a conversation going. Maybe you guys can help me work it out. Again, unfiltered.show slash discord. There's a lot to talk about this this episode. 305 has got a lot going on, just like the economy does, and a lot of unemployment numbers keep rolling in. The Labor Department has just released unemployment figures for last week. CNN Chief Business Correspondent Christine Romans has the numbers. So, Christine? Tell Just us what they are. another awful week. Uh, 4.4 million jobs, 4.4 million people filed for the first time for unemployment benefits in the week. And when you look at the last five weeks, 
more than 26 million people, 26.4 million people have gone to their state unemployment uh, offices or websites and filed for the first time for jobless benefits. To put that into context, the pandemic has wiped away all of the jobs created, all the job gains since the great recession. And just in these past five weeks, some 16 percent of the labor market have filed for unemployment benefits. Uh, this is essentially a job market that is broken. Uh, this is what it looks like when you stay at home. You've got all these people losing their jobs and waiting in wait mode now to see what the next move will be and when the economy can start to reopen. The hope, of course, is that this is temporary, uh, but we just don't know the next moves. I'm covered in Jesus's blood. Because I'm covered in his blood. Thank you very much. And so is that the unemployment rate right now? 16% you're saying? And the what's the historical context? Would be elite. I mean, look, this, we clearly have an unemployment rate today that is the highest it's been since the Great Depression. This is far worse than the Great Recession. This is worse than 1982. No real playbook for it as well. I mean, there are some concerns that the economic figures aren't even capturing all the people who have been sidelined by this just yet. I just can't. Oof, those are some sobering numbers. And, you know, you hear what she said there. It's like, this is just going to continue until we go back to work. But, of course, there's that contention of getting people more sick, creating a second wave. And it's that essential battle that now plays out. But it's it's obvious from the unemployment data and from the economy market information that things, things will not and cannot get better until the economy is running again. The mayor of Las Vegas wants to reopen the city for business without a plan of action, it seems. In multiple interviews, Mayor Carolyn Goodman has suggested that letting businesses compete with each other to see who can keep customers the safest. The idea is getting major pushback from Nevada's governor. Jamie Yukas has this story. Actually, my name's Chris. Um, this is the other problem, is that if you are one of these governors or a mayor who says they want to reopen, you become the focus of... CBS, ABC, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, and maybe, depending on if you matter or not, CNBC. <laughs> if you don't make enough money, they'll just ignore you. But you literally will become the lead story on all of those networks all at once. It is an intense amount of political and media pressure that any governor or mayor is immediately put under if they even dare talk about bringing the um, people back to work and, you know, maybe getting more people sick, God forbid. So it leaves us with all of these crazy solutions. But the, the, the challenge here is, is we keep talking about oil companies and we keep talking about restaurants and small businesses and the service industry. But the actual frickin states themselves are getting to the point where they may need to declare bankruptcy. If that happens, it will create a collapse slide effect like nothing I've ever witnessed in my life. And that's why when you got asshats like Mitch McConnell saying, ah, just let the blue states file for bankruptcy. What could go wrong? You really got to start to worry. I would certainly be in favor of allowing states to use the bankruptcy uh, uh, route. It's to save some cities. All right. Well, that was Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell facing backlash now after saying that he favors allowing states to declare bankruptcy, rejecting calls for a federal bailout of states that are struggling to pay their bills amidst the pandemic. Joining uh, it's just blue states, right? <laughs> just <laughs> right. Wait, what? As soon as the Senate passed it, this current bill, Senator Mitch McConnell goes out and he says 
maybe the states should declare bankruptcy, okay? This is one of the really dumb ideas of all time. Uh, and, uh, you know, I said to my colleagues in Washington, I would have insisted that state and local funding was in this current bill because I don't believe they want to fund state and local governments. And not to fund state and local governments is incredibly short-sighted. They want to fund small business, fund the airlines, I understand that. But state and local government funds police and fire and teachers and schools. Well, and just not to mention, having states go bankrupt would just be devastating. Um, and, and if you're printing trillions... How does that not get worked out? How does that not happen? And we've got to act soon because they don't have much income with everybody out of work. And the other big factor, oil prices being in the can as well as in the can (laughs) and demand being so low, there's all kinds of state tax revenues that they are not earning on sales tax, on all kinds of things, but more importantly, on that precious, precious oil, man. That's where they get all kinds of state money. We talked a lot about how states and local budgets are being strained by fighting the pandemic. The collapsing price of oil could also be a body blow to states that depend on oil production. Thousands of jobs and billions of dollars in tax revenue are at stake here. Scott Cohn joins us live with that story. Morning, Scott. Yeah, really a one-two punch, Sarah, to continue your metaphor. Uh, the basic math is really cruel. If you think about it, for most in the oil business, producing a barrel of oil right now is a losing proposition. That flows right through to the states, and you can see it, among other ways, in severance taxes. It's the taxes that states collect based on the value of the oil. And we're talking some big money here. billion in Texas. That's about 5% of the state's operating budget revenues. In North Dakota, $2.6 billion or 8% of revenues. In New Mexico, $1.5 billion or 6%. And in Alaska, oil and gas production taxes account for about half of the state's tax revenues. The CEO of one independent oil company in Texas, who's been in this business for 35 years, says he's seen a lot of oil shocks, but nothing quite like this. There will be hundreds of thousands of high-paying jobs that have evaporate. Um, the question is, will they, will they ever come back? Uh, but secondarily, um, you'll see, you I think you'll see half the number of companies in this industry uh, two years from now. Yeah, I was just saying that same thing. Um, it's clearly what's going to happen is the financially solid companies will absorb the smaller ones, and we will see over time consolidations like we see in all industries. And when has that ever really been great for consumers? <laughs> Not really ever, huh? Uh, but it'll be good for them. Mm. Or good for the Saudis, whoever ends up buying it up. Of course, the Saudis right now are a little busy just buying cruise liners, I suppose. There is talk of an oil company relief bill. I think that would have all kinds of other ramifications and it just seems like there's so many other important things that we could be cutting and printing money for than the freaking oil companies why don't we write a check to the tobacco companies too while we're at it <laughs> just get everybody a nice bailout <laughs> uh meanwhile you know small businesses well they get a little bit more money not much the paytech paytech 
the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP, has been slightly refunded or, as they like to say, refilled? We're gathered today for a very historic bill signing that will provide vital financial relief to American workers and families. We're grateful to be joined by Vice President Mike Pence and also with us are Secretary Steve Mnuchin, Administrator Jovita Carranza, Senators Roy Blunt, John Cornyn, Dan Sullivan, as well as Leader Kevin McCarthy and Representative Steve Scalise and Liz Cheney. We appreciate you all coming. This is what a lot of people are calling Stimulus Bill 3.5. There's a few names going around for it right now. It's not nearly as much money, but it's after essentially them flailing for a week, it's something. Very big moment. I want to thank Congress for answering my call to pass this critical funding. And the bill includes, as you probably know, you've been watching it over the last week as it matured until this point, $320 billion to refill the Paycheck Protection Program, helping keep millions and millions of American workers on the payroll. Great for small businesses, great for the workers. $30 billion to the Paycheck Protection Funds will be reserved for small financial institutions, including those that serve minority and distressed communities, extending vital relief to thousands of African-American and Hispanic-American small business owners and their employees. So that's $30 billion of the Paycheck Protection Funds, and that's really having to do very much with extending vital relief I'm a little more skeptical. I think that $30 billion is basically what's been set aside for the small businesses. And the other $300 billion will just get used up by all the large corporations, just like the last round did. So if you're a small business, get in, get fast, because there's not a lot to go around. There's there's technically even less this time, if, if I'm right in my supposition here, which is just a guess. <laughs> um, I've really done a quite the job of coming across as a hardcore let's reopen the economy guy in this episode. And I want to make it clear that I'm not. I think it's a balance. I think um, if if you were to ask most of the public, I think a lot of them would be willing to opt to take the risk. And maybe um, maybe it'll come to that. You know, people say, okay, I'll take I'll do the testing. I'll wear the mask. Let me go back to work. Maybe that's what it'll be. Uh, I, I don't know yet. But your good buddy, Senator Rand Paul, makes a pretty good point. Can't really argue that if you give people money, but you're not letting them go out and shop, it's not really going to stimulate anything. Mr. President, the senator from Kentucky. No amount of money, not all the money in China, will save us from ourselves. Our only hope of rescuing this great country is to reopen the economy. If you print up billions of dollars and give it to people... They are unlikely to spend it until you end the quarantine. The good news, though, is that the scientific community finally has facts instead of conjecture. The question question before us isn't do nothing or print endless amounts of bailout cash. The debate should now include the one choice that will get our economy growing again, reopening American commerce. Hmm. There's also been some talk about absorbing the risk from retail stores and other businesses if people get sick and then sue them. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> let's let's spend a moment, though, talking about the election before we wrap up, because I didn't get a chance to touch on some of this stuff last episode, and I'm running a little longer than I'd like, but I, I still want to get this stuff in. Uh, it 
I got two things for you, both Biden related. Number one on the old list here is I wonder if you've noticed this as well. Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden, Joe's wife, is taking a much more prominent role in interviews with the media. Two weeks ago, it started as her doing co-interviews with Joe. It was her and Joe together um, from the re- you know remote studio in his home. But this week, they dropped Joe, and it's just Jill. Jill Biden. She's not running for president. She, she won't hold any position other than first lady. But she's now the one being interviewed by the news and holding town hall sessions, virtual town hall sessions that Joe used to be holding. I mean, next she's going to be hosting the podcast. Here's a little example of uh, Jill Biden on CNN talking about who Joe's going to pick for a VP. If you are at home with your children this morning, I don't have to tell you these are challenging times. At least 41 states have ordered schools closed for the rest of the academic year. Is this pandemic somehow reshaping education for good? And are some kids being left behind? Joining us now is Jill Biden. She's the wife of presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden. You notice the tone change right there? Joining us now, as soon as she switches to that, there's a genuine, like, I don't know, celebrity. I don't know what it is. She's excited to talk to Jill. Now is Jill Biden. She's the wife of presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden and a teacher for 35 years. And Lily Garcia, president of the National Education Association. And they held a telephone town hall last night for educators trying to confront the coronavirus crisis. Great to see you both, ladies. Um, Dr. Biden, I want to start with you. Tell us about this this 10,000. I want to start with you because you're going to be the new first lady. Um, Dr. Biden, I want to start with you. Tell us about this this 10,000 person sort of virtual or telephonic town hall you had. What what was the most pressing issue you heard from educators? You know, Allison, it was so exciting. We had really over 13,000 teachers on that phone call. And uh, I promised the teachers that when Joe was the nominee, that we would listen to the teachers, and that's what we're doing. It's weird. It's weird. Totally, It's not totally unusual, but it, it feels like they're reducing the amount of camera time that Joe has to do and letting Jill fill that gap, which... Um, Seems sort of like an obvious tactic, actually. I don't know. Maybe Jill's going to be involved in picking the VP, too. Heck, maybe Jill will hope, maybe Jill will help uh, Joe make decisions during tough times. Um, seems like she might like working with the possible VP pick that the media has for him. Oh, yeah, the media has made Joe's VP pick. Totally. They want, they, they know, they, they know who Joe's VP should be, and they want you to want her. Her name, you've probably heard this, is Stacey Abrams, and she's qualified. And for all those reasons, you maintain that you would be an excellent candidate? I think absolutely. This is a question of competency, of skills, and of understanding the intricate nature of our federal, state, and local governments. Now, here we go. How about a little media mashup of uh, Stacey Abrams getting interviewed in the last few weeks about the VP pick stuff? Skills and of understanding the intricate nature of our federal, state, and local governments. I believe I have the capacity, the competence, the skills, and the willingness to serve. 
I do have those experiences. I'm a very accomplished person who has experience on a realm of issues and has the capacity to do this job. I actually do have some foreign policy experience. I've never negotiated treaties, but I've actually done trade work. I'm a lifetime member of the Council of Foreign Relations. I would say that national experience can be measured in multiple ways. And the truth of the matter is what we want is capacity. We want competence and we want skills. I'm electable if I win, and I'm electable because I can win. Do you think the country will elect a woman president in the next 20 years? Yes. Do you think they'll elect you? Yes, that's my plan. I would be honored to be on the campaign trail as a running mate, uh, but that is a process that you can't campaign for, and I'm not campaigning for it, just being straightforward. Just being honest, I'm not campaigning. I'm just saying I'm great. I would share your concern about not picking a woman of color because women of color, particularly black women, are the strongest part of the Democratic Party. What? I thought that was Barack Obama. That's what Nancy Pelosi said today. Huh. Well, I can't keep it straight, but it seems like they've made their pick. (laughs) That was a little montage, and there's more. (laughs) There's a lot more. (laughs) What a bunch of news, huh? I have to say, I know I've mentioned it a lot, but it's really been making a difference in my day-to-day, and that is the Discord. It has just been so great. The one channel I'll, I'll check when I need a little smile is we, we made a dedicated memes channel. So that way you don't get blasted with all the silly memes in the other places, but when you're ready for a smile, there's some choice ones. There's some really choice ones in there. Like, the internet has gone full meme mode now with the big Rona. It's all about the memes, and they're at their peak right now so you got to go check that out unfiltered.show slash discord the patreon will be returning soon i'll have more information about that in not too long getting things set up behind the scenes to make that doable i cannot wait to share those plans with you but i gotta make sure all our i's are dotted our t's are crossed because um you know i got a really good you know what and i want to make sure that uh, i get all that stuff done correctly it's the one advantage to having been on the internet, getting a little bit older, is I can be a little bit more patient, be a little more diligent, and do it right. That's the lessons I've learned from the last, like, 296 or whatever it was episodes that we did. (laughs) I learned that lesson. Anyways, thanks so much for joining me on this here episode of The Unfiltered Show. Links that helped inform my commentary can be found at unfilter.show slash 305. I'll be back next week with more news. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you then. Mommy needs a joy. Snitches get rewards. We want to thank you for turning folks in and making sure we are all safe. I'm covered in Jesus' blood. Because I'm covered in his blood. Thank you very much.